Hello, everyone. You're listening to Slapdash, the podcast about history, art, science, and everything else. We're your hosts, Jason Creekmore and Shannon Deaton. Welcome to the show. In today's episode, we are going to take a closer look at one of the more fascinating scientific topics in recent years, a little red planet known as Mars. Sitting across from me is NASA astronaut Dr. Shannon Deep. <laughs> so are you ready to explore Mars today, Shannon? I'm always ready to explore Mars, Jason. All right. Let's do it. When talking about Mars, there's a great deal to unpack, uh, from rovers and space travel to extraterrestrial life and colonization. But I suppose the best way to begin our discussion about Mars is to just talk about a few facts. Uh, Mars is basically half the size of Earth and is at approximately 225 million miles away, although every two years and two months, due to the orbits of the planets, they do get a little bit closer. Yeah. And actually, uh, NASA uses that time frame when they do send missions. That's when they occur, when the the uh, satellites are going to get there, about the time that they're the closest. Yeah, it's a little less cost prohibitive to whenever they're a little bit closer. You, know, yeah. you don't have to fly as far. That's right, yeah. The average surface temperature uh, of Mars is 80 degrees Fahrenheit, but during winter near the planet's uh, poles, it can get to negative 125 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, Mars has a rocky red landscape that is absent of liquid water. So, you know, pretty much what one thinks about when you think about Mars, just sort of red and dusty and, you know, a little bit windy, that's that's in reality how it is. Yeah, it's going to be hard to live there without a lot of water. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine so. <laughs> and a dollar general? There's no dollar generals? Yeah. <laughs> Although I, I think I did see Facebook the other day mention that there were, I think, two being built. <laughs> you know what? I, I'll bet if we finally do send someone to Mars, there will be a dollar general there. <laughs> just sort of waiting <laughs> on us. Yeah. <laughs> the Martians will be like, do, 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 do. <laughs> welcome to Mars. When we're talking about Mars, one of the first things that come to mind is the famous Mars rover. Now, rovers have been operational now for quite a while. In fact, the Pathfinder lander launched on December 4th, 1996, took an eight-month flight and landed uh, just as America had planned, on July 4th, yeah, 4th of July. They worked it out perfectly. That's worked it out perfectly. Uh, July 4th, 1997. And moments later, a little microwave-sized robot named Sojourner rolled down the ramp and introduced Mars to mankind. So not Wally. It was not Wally. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of looked a little like Wally, but it wasn't okay. Wally. No. Yeah. Since then, there have been eight other rovers, uh, all of which have given us pictures uh, and you know countless information. Uh, but to date, basically, what we have in order to get the information that we have is basically you know from the rovers. Yeah, and you were telling me just before we started here that when some of these pictures started coming back from the first rover and they were posted online for the first time in the '90s that the internet actually got bogged down a little bit. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, you know, the internet uh, in, in 97 would have been sort of in, in, its, in its infancy uh, a, a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, practically, you know, much of the entire world was trying to access the same information virtually a lot from the same sites about seeing, you know, pictures of Mars. Uh, and it actually kind of crashed the internet there just just for a little while. And that was, that was the reason was because of all the pictures from Mars. That's wild. Yeah. So although that Mars uh, rovers are really cool, Shannon, I think you're going to tell us a little bit 
about a concept that's actually much cooler, and that's called terraforming. Yeah, this is one of the coolest things um, in the sphere of talking about colonizing Mars. Because there's a lot of different ways to do it, Jason. There's been a lot of ideas tossed around about how humankind can go and live on Mars and actually survive. Well, one theory that's been put forth, and it's completely hypothetical, is the concept of terraforming Mars. And to put it briefly, terraforming is this hypothetical process that would seek to change Mars's atmosphere and environment to be more like Earth's atmosphere and environment. So if we can't live on Mars as it exists today, perhaps we could live on it a little bit easier if it looked a lot more like our backyard. And that's what terraforming is all about. And this obviously would make colonization of Mars safer and more sustainable over time. And there's several motivations to this. You know, it's thought that Mars is the most Earth-like planet in our solar system. I'm sorry, Jupiter, you're just not <laughs> you're just not Earth-like enough if, to live on. You were close. You were close. <laughs> yeah. It's it's not you. It's me. It's yeah, <laughs> yeah. We yeah we we can't live on Jupiter. And also, Mars may have had an Earth-like environment early in its history. So if we can return it to its roots, bring it back to you know what it may have used to have been like, then perhaps it might be a little bit more livable. But there are some side effects to this. If we are going to change the environment and atmosphere of an entire planet, we have to hope that there is nothing on that planet that depends on the current environment and atmosphere. So we have the potential here of destroying any indigenous life, even microbial life, if it exists. You know, the aliens who are working at the dollar store <laughs> on Mars, you know, they're, they're dependent somewhat on whatever uh, sort of gases are up there. So if we convert that to breathable oxygen that humans can use, they may not like that as much and we may not get as many discounts at the Martian Dollar General. Of course, there are challenges and limitations to terraforming Mars. Whenever you go to Mars, Jason, there's a reduced light level. It's only about 58% that of Earth, so it's a little bit darker up there. You know, it's, it's a little bit harder to see, even in bright daylight during the morning times. There's low surface gravity. It's only about 38% that of Earth. And, you know, the, the worst thing about it, if I had to choose one thing, is that the atmosphere itself is toxic. So <laughs> yeah, that's typically bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard to survive for very long if we're, you know, going to do any man-made efforts of terraforming <laughs> Mars when the air that we breathe is literally going to kill us. <laughs> Uh, the average temperature, as you mentioned, is negative uh, 125 degrees Fahrenheit at its coldest, whereas Earth is about 57 degrees Fahrenheit. So I don't do too well in cold temperatures, Jason. It's it's recently switched over to fall, you know late fall, getting ready to get a little bit colder. I think we have um, some snow in the forecast next week, and I'm dreading that. And it's it's going to be like you know in the 20s, maybe the teens in terms of degrees. I can't even imagine a world where it would be negative 125 degrees and trying to live there. Yeah, I would imagine that a negative 125 degrees would, would uh, make for quite the electric bill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would just be running nonstop. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to have something on Mars to, to keep me warm uh, because there is no liquid water there. There's no natural food source. These are also limitations, very real limitations, I would say, <laughs> as well. You know, nothing to drink, nothing to eat. Let's go terraform Mars. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> yeah. So perhaps one of the, the biggest challenges outside of the toxic atmosphere and the absolute you know lack of sustenance whatsoever 
on Mars is that the atmospheric pressure actually is below the Armstrong limit. And this is the limit at which exposed bodily fluids such as saliva and tears boil away. Uh, and this happens whenever the air pressure is low enough that the temperature of the human body is the boiling point of uh, such things as saliva and tears. So without a pressure suit, no amount of breathable oxygen delivered by any means will sustain humans for more than just a few minutes. It would absolutely be agonizing. And this is something that can be reproduced on Earth, you know, this uh, atmospheric pressure drop, uh, because it actually happened to someone accidentally. Uh, a human was accidentally exposed to atmospheric pressure below the Armstrong limit, and before he passed out, which he most certainly passed <laughs> out, it was noted that his last conscious memory was of the saliva on his tongue beginning to boil. So scary sci-fi stuff, you know, and this is a, a very real thing on Mars. You know, we would only last a few minutes before literally the, the water drops on our eyebrows would just start to, to burn. Golly, that's amazing. I, I had never heard that. I didn't. That's, that's, that's news to me. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a scary thing and something that would need to be accounted for before right. I'm going to Mars. <laughs> yeah, I don't want my tears boiling because yeah, <laughs> I would be crying the whole trip <laughs> all the way there. That's at the bottom of the list of, of things I most want in my life. Uh, but there are several methods and strategies to bring about this terraforming event that, that have been suggested. There's an idea that if we introduce an enough ammonia into the Martian atmosphere that it uh, might cause the atmosphere to heat up considerably. And it's thought that there's a large amount of ammonia orbiting planets in the outer solar system. And if the ammonia could somehow be redirected to collide with Mars, then perhaps we could create this greenhouse effect. Everything would get warmer and perhaps we could start moving toward a more Earth-like temperature, if nothing else. There's also another idea because Again, negative 125 degrees Fahrenheit is not very comfortable <laughs> by anyone's standards. Um, but there's the idea that we could use orbital mirrors to heat the planet. And this is a, a thought that mirrors could be placed in orbit around Mars to increase the total insulation it receives. And this could redirect sunlight onto Mars's surface and increase surface temperature directly. So we could warm it up a little bit with uh, some mirrors. That might be kind of neat. That's kind of cool. I know that Cobra Commander in uh, with G.I. Joe, he was close to that. I watched an episode <laughs> one time. I think that was their tactic. He got close to it. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, he got close to it. But the Joe's one. Oh, okay. Yeah, gotcha. So is he trying to do this to Earth? He was trying to do this, I think, maybe to the moon, I think, oh, or something yeah. I saw. Yeah. yeah. Very, <laughs> very cool. <laughs> so, you know, if we're going to terraform Mars or if we're going to colonize Mars in general, we have to find a way to get there because last I checked, it is almost impossible to just teleport yourself to Mars. I tried that this morning and uh, unfortunately, <laughs> no dice. nothing happened. Yeah, yeah, I just stood there. So we have to have a spaceship or some sort of module in order to get us there. So Jason, is there any possible way that we can get to Mars? Uh, it is possible. Yeah, uh, I think it's very possible. Uh, so obviously, if we're talking about Mars exploration, we have to spend some, you know, some time to discuss spaceships. Yeah. You know, for lack of a better word, uh, there are various dates uh, and organizations involved in creating a spaceship that will actually transport humans to Mars. Uh, one company that you see heavily involved in, in this technology and the planning is uh, JPL. Uh, which stands for Jet Propulsion Laboratories, uh, which works closely with NASA. 
another company in the news lately that you may have heard of is SpaceX. Yeah. And its CEO, uh, technology mogul Elon Musk. Oh, yeah. Uh, Musk has created a rocket spacecraft combo called Starship. And Starship already exists, but certain modifications uh, would be needed to transport a number of people that distance. And Musk stated that his company's goal is, is to, quote, to enable humanity to become a multi-planet species. Yeah, I've heard that quote. Yeah, I, I had never heard that quote until doing the research here, but yeah. that's it's pretty direct and to the point. Yeah, it's incredible. He hopes to start flights around the moon by 2023 and to begin construction of a Mars base by 2028. Uh, the entire project will cost approximately $6 billion, but Musk believes that routine flights to Mars with 100 people on board will be occurring by 2032. So routine flights carrying up to 100 people will be occurring very fr- frequently by the year 2032. So in just over a decade, you and I are getting on a spaceship, and it's called Starship, right? We are getting on Starship. <laughs> and we're going to Mars. For a price. Okay, and what, <laughs> what is the price? So people wishing to go to Mars will be able to do so for a half a million dollars. Oh, well, that's That's going to be the ticket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Send me a postcard, right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Another interesting note is that Starship currently, it is 160 feet tall and weighs 200 tons. But once it is fully fueled, weighs 1,400 tons. So big big difference. 200 tons empty, 1,400 tons loaded with fuel. Oh, my goodness. So that's 1,200 tons of rocket fuel. That a hundred people is going to be sitting on. Let's go to Mars. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of gasoline. Man. That's a lot of gasoline. Is all that unleaded? And a I lot of fire. Right? <laughs> Maybe diesel. Based, I don't know what it is. Are we making this out of corn? What are, what are we going to Mars on? <laughs> uh, I hope the good folks in Nebraska and Iowa are making that corn. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's going to take a bit of it. That's right. Possibly one day. I mean, they, they think that is definitely in the realm of possibility and actually not really a, a possibility. They really believe that's going to happen. It's just it's just going to be a few more years, but they, they really see that in the in the future. You know what I love about that story the most? The fact that this craft is called Starship. Right. I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe it's because SpaceX is a private company. It's not NASA. They don't have to call it the Apollo 13. You know, right. He can literally... Elon Musk or, or whoever the uh, engineers are, they could call this thing whatever they wanted to. I mean, in a decade, we're, we could go to Mars on the Millennium Falcon, Jason. Oh, I hope, I hope so. <laughs> if if I could do that, I would start saving money now. <laughs> yeah, we, we need to think ahead on this. We need to plan ahead. <laughs> so, Shannon, what do, you have, uh, what do you have next to talk about Mars? Well, if we're going to Mars and it's going to be in the near future, there have been some discussions about, you know, how humans are going to survive there. And, you know, one topic we talked about was terraforming, changing the environment. Another topic, and it's very controversial, uh, is the idea of changing ourselves. So Uh-oh. this is kind of interesting. Uh, the idea of altering human biology. It's a hypothetical method of altering human genes to make humans more adaptable to living on Mars. And this comes about because obviously humans have problems in space. <laughs> we're, we're not yet spacefaring creatures as, you know, Elon Musk wants us to be quite yet. And uh, astronauts who have already been to space and spent a year in space 
have experienced a lot of health problems. You know, they've had loss of bone density. They've had uh, muscular atrophy, vision changes, and just a variety of other issues. And, you know, I imagine this is because of the low gravity environment. If you're going to be out there floating in a space capsule somewhere and you're not lifting things and using your muscles, you know, as much, then... They're, oh, they're not going to be there right. for very long. They're going to make total them. sense. Yeah. So the process itself formally is called gene editing. Uh, on Earth, there are creatures known as extremophiles. And I, I never heard of this before I dove into the, the research on this episode. But these extremophiles include a type of bacteria that lives on Earth and can survive very cold temperatures, dehydration, and extreme radiation. So all the fun elements of Mars, you know, such as being extremely cold and having no water and also having a planet that just, you know, has a bunch of radiation, there are bacteria on Earth that can survive such conditions. So you may know where I'm going with this, <laughs> maybe not, uh, but we know the genes those species use to survive under these lethal conditions. Scientists have identified what they are. So, you know, there's currently no no method for transferring those genes to a mammal. We can't just extract those genes and give uh, you, Jason, mutant abilities to, to live on Mars. It just, you know, doesn't currently work that way. But researchers believe that if they can figure it out, humans might be able to live much longer in space stations and on distant planets, specifically as it relates to radiation on Mars. Sometimes scientists believe that the radiation on Mars might eventually cause mutations in humans. Uh, if anyone is to visit there, that um, might make Mars colonists at some point down the line into a brand new species that is no longer human. Now, I will say that not all scientists have come to this uh, resolution. Not everybody thinks this is going to happen, but there's at least a sector of folks who are very worried that if we send people into space, you know, if Elon Musk, you know, boots up the starship and blasts off here in 12 <laughs> years <laughs> and people land on Mars, that the radiation there is going to cause all kinds of mutations and at and some that, point. That, and that it would literally change, change yeah. one's chemistry to the degree that it's no longer human. That's exactly. It no longer functions as a normal That's right. human body would. Yeah, it, you're going to be yeah. uh, something a little bit different. And there's also a concern about the immune system of humans as it relates to Mars because Mars may not have any pathogenic bacteria. So if this is true, if there's no bacteria on Mars, the humans who might eventually colonize Mars may live in a germ-free society, which sounds good on <laughs> the surface, but unfortunately, you're still going to have friends and uh, visitors and family who might want to come see you on right. Mars. And when they do, they're going to be packing the uh, the cold that I've been carrying for the last <laughs> <laughs> couple weeks. And uh, unfortunately, your immune system may be really diminished, right. you know, because there's nothing keeping it strong. I mean, I mean, can you imagine a Mars stomach virus, <laughs> a Martian stomach virus? I don't even want to think about that. That, that sounds, sounds awful. That sounds like the worst. Uh, but yeah, and it could be one of the worst stomach <laughs> viruses because your immune system really wouldn't be able to fight it. And that's a, that's a really big concern, you know. On the other hand, there may be uh, you know, pathogenic bacteria of some sort that is uh, much more lethal than that on Earth. So you kind of have those two extremes. We don't know what's up there. There could be no bacteria, which, you know, might kill our immune systems, or there might be killer bacteria that will kill us. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> sort of crawl out from behind a rock somewhere. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, so obviously there you know the reason this is controversial is because there's a lot of ethical considerations behind modifying the human body in oh, any way. Oh, sure, yeah. You know. So one researcher noted that using synthetic biology to change the genetic makeup of any living organisms, especially our own, is not without its moral and ethical quandaries. And I would agree with that. The big question asked by scientists is will engineering ourselves make us less human? And it's a it's a very real question oh, yeah, that's to that's, consider that's an that's uh, that could be an entire uh, you know other episode uh, yeah. for our podcast maybe even a series <laughs> absolutely so you know if, if humans are going to mars there's always the potential that we're gonna find something up there that's not human you know and they may be working at a dollar general store <laughs> <laughs> so jason what can you tell us about potential non-human life that we might find on mars when we get there here in a decade or so well that sounds a, it's a little safer maybe yeah. i don't know <laughs> Uh, you know, one of the more interesting topics uh, you know, regarding Mars is the prospect of life. And the big question, you know, is there life on Mars? Yeah. Well, to date, there has been no evidence of life on Mars, uh, nor is there any evidence of previous life on Mars, uh, not even microscopic bacteria that you were talking about earlier. Yeah. However, what is, uh, what is interesting is that Mars does have organic compounds found in sedimentary rocks that are precursors for microscopic life. Oh, so sort of the some of the building blocks, quote unquote, of life are within the soil and, and within the rocks, but they're they have never found a trace of actual life, uh, you know, even microscopic. Uh, so you know, there is no human life there. Obviously, there is no non-human life. There is no life that they have found thus far. And of course, you know the. The, the two big questions on that on one end is could there be life eventually what you're talking about yeah. you know right now with exploration terraforming and, and those types of things and you know maybe even gene editing or you know was there life eons and eons ago and we've just not found a trace of that you yeah. know quite yet so no no little green men to speak of have we not found those not one uh, I, one of the rovers that landed in 2001 turned a corner and saw Matt Damon there. <laughs> So, so we'll talk about Matt Damon in a little while. Yeah. But no, no, no life on Mars. Wow. So yeah. the the David uh, the David Bowie song, you know, uh, life on Mars. So that's uh, <laughs> just must have been him. <laughs> that's awesome. Very cool. So you know, talking about some of these missions to Mars, Shannon, tell us a, a little more details about that. Yeah. Well, in addition to what you mentioned about SpaceX, NASA is under presidential orders to land humans on Mars by 2033. And that sounds pretty serious. Well, you to better me. get it done, right? <laughs> it's got to happen. That's right. Right. Uh, NASA engineers are planning methods for converting Martian soil into bricks that could be used to build habitats. So rather than flying up all of these different materials that would be used to construct the colony, they're trying to figure out a way that once humans get there, they can use the Martian soil that already exists to create some bricks and, you know, make a nice little home for themselves <laughs> once they arrive. Uh, the first crewed Mars mission, which would include sending astronauts to Mars, orbiting Mars, and then returning to Earth, is proposed for the 2030s. So this wouldn't necessarily be a landing event on Mars. A lot of scientists believe that if we are to eventually land humans on Mars, we should have some sort of in-between, you know, because we've sent rovers there. We've right. never brought them back yet. Um, so some scientists think we should at least, you know, send 
first of all, maybe a rover that comes home. That's that's one step, you know, before we actually send humans there to live. Uh, and then a second step would be to send humans out to orbit around Mars right. and then come home, you know, right. rather than landing and having to deal with everything that entails. And then, you know, the progression of just that, baby of course. steps, right? Getting right. Into, yeah. Yeah. Not just hopping on a ship and, and flying over to Mars right. <laughs> you know, landing, trying to work it out step by step. Now, in addition to the U.S., Russia also plans to send humans to Mars in the 2040-2050 time frame. And I thought this was interesting because obviously this is a little bit behind the U.S. time frame. And on previous episodes, we talked about the space race and the Cold War and uh, how the United States and Russia were engaged in this uh, race to, to get the first man on the moon. It looks like here they're playing it a little bit safe, and they're saying, you go first. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> let's see what happens. Let me know you. how it works out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at present, other than the U.S. and Russia, no other nation has announced plans to send humans to Mars. There, there are some who are thinking about additional orbital missions. I think Japan has something in the works with maybe sending their own rover, and, and I think India was mentioned as well, but in terms of actual manned and crewed missions, you know, it's it's just the U.S. and Russia again, you hmm. know, gearing up for uh, another yeah. space race. Still decades later. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> so, you know, whenever I think about these planned missions to Mars, I think about what happens when someone finally does land there, Jason. You know, other than bragging rights, what power would the first country to arrive on Mars have? Could they literally walk up? on Mars and, and plant a flag and say, you know, I own this. This is the United States of Mars <laughs> now, you know, so that's a that's an interesting conversation. I mean, it is. I mean, it's uh, I guess it's sort of the uh, the old saying finders keepers, yeah. <laughs> you know, type thing. It, it is really interesting, though. I mean, because yeah, that's obviously what was done on the moon. Right. Right. I mean, you know, and so we don't really think of, you know, America owning the moon, right. uh, but we do think of the as arriving first sure. the only you know thus far yeah uh, so that's to me that's that's pretty interesting I think that's a challenge that's that's on down the road a little bit but you know that's going to come up you know yeah. especially as more and more countries start to travel to Mars and we start to get all these flags <laughs> planted at, at some point somebody's gonna you know put a stake in the ground and start hey, hey that's my rock and <laughs> measure their acreage off <laughs> stepping it off yeah yeah so I, I think that's really interesting and you know something that also occurs to me is there's quite a bit of freedom for these people who arrive on mars first right there's there's really no jurisdiction that can reach to them am i right i mean you land on mars and are you just expected, you know, well, I, I would say ethically you're expected to follow the rules and be a good person and do the right thing and abide by whatever policies right, humanity sure. has <laughs> constructed up to this point. But, Jason, hypothetically, what happens if you get on a spaceship and you go to Mars and you land there and you just lose your ever-loving mind? <laughs> and, I, and I just unplug. You just un, unplug in the realest sense of the term, and you're just out there, and you you are you, you are the Martian. Yeah, and, I, and I just spend the rest of my days just yeah. up there. You know, you turn the radio off. You tell NASA, you know, see ya, and yeah. you just you just live your life, man. And that's it. 
I guess in time, I'm sure someone else might land there. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's probably going to be at least nine months minimum before, yeah. Yeah. Uh, depending on how quick they react. But uh, that would be kind of interesting just, you know, after you get there and if you know you have everything you need, yeah. you have the food, you have the water, you have all your medical supplies, you have everything, and then just like, okay, I'm good, see you, and then just unplug it. I mean, what would NASA <laughs> do? You know, like they're all sitting there, like, you know, waiting for you to – you know, do all this uh, this really important and necessary work. You know, to, yeah. to send back information, and then it's <laughs> you just, just turned it off and start planting potatoes. It's, it's kind of like the Truman Show. You know, where <laughs> right. he's like, "Oh, have a good evening," you know, and he kind of waits at the camera, and that's yeah. it. You know, I don't know what. I guess that's possible. Man, you would be you're going to be an international celebrity anyway if you yeah. land on Mars. But can you just imagine if you unplug from NASA in terms of authority? But you kept the cameras rolling, and you just <laughs> oh, my, oh my goodness! <laughs> Talk about a YouTube sensation, man! You know, what's that crazy Jason up to today? <laughs> oh, that's awesome! <laughs> He's grilling out on Mars. <laughs> you think the the space police would eventually show up? I mean, you said nine months. I, I think that's kind of funny. They would they would almost immediately have to go on the high alert and start organizing a team to come get you, right? <laughs> you know, how dare you, sir? We'll be there and. Nine months to, to 12 months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's crazy. So, you know, we mentioned the, the planting of potatoes and all this uh, stuff. But you and I, Jason, we, we both read a book and saw a movie called The Martian. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, it, it's really interesting. And uh, the plot might just be feasible. I don't know. Uh, but what can you tell us about that book? Uh, well, the, the book was uh, written by Andy Weir uh, in 2011, and it was released uh, a, a, on the big screen four years later uh, in 2015. And like like you said there, I think we both watched or both read the book. Yeah. You actually gave me the book. Oh, did I? I, I believe, yeah. And, and I read it. And then, of course, you know, uh, a year or two later, you know, we, we watched the movie. And overall, the, the scientific community praises the movie for being accurate to a large degree. Wow. There are uh, a few little items, uh, you know, in, during the movie or the, uh, in the book, one, one of the two or maybe both. It mentions, uh, like maybe 100, 120 mile an hour winds. And on Mars, uh, a 100 mile an hour wind would really feel like a 10 mile an hour wind here. And so there's a part oh. where he's fighting the, the elements in the wind and if, if if the wind really was blowing at 100 miles an hour, mm-hmm. it really wouldn't be that big a deal. Uh, gotcha. and Mar- but in the movie, I think it makes it look as though it's like a tornado. Does that have something to do with the gravity? I don't know what would affect. I, that. I think it's the atmosphere. Okay, yeah, something around there. And then, uh, but the other one is the gravity. You know, that oh. uh, a lot on Mars, he he tends to just sort of walk around. Yeah, I mean, with, does. there's not a lot of like floating or. Uh, and that's really not necessarily the case on Mars. You know, there is significantly less gravity, and yeah. uh, you know, you wouldn't just float into space. You know, but but you could jump, and you would be there for a little, couple seconds before you're <laughs> going to come down. You know, yeah. uh, gravity would not hold you to the ground like it does on Earth. So for a while, until your your muscles rotted away, you would almost be a superhuman yeah, on Mars. Yeah, you'd be you'd be feeling good. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, you know, one of the other things that was mentioned is the uh, potatoes, and. Uh, I can personally attest, Shannon, that I have spent my entire life eating potatoes, uh, <laughs> primarily potatoes with the occasional cheese pizza. And so I'm living proof that one can live uh, their entire life on potatoes, yeah. uh, French fried, mashed, <laughs> uh, sometimes baked. But I'd rather have, you know, just the, the, the fried or, or the mashed. Now, is that a good life? 
Uh, for the most part, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's awesome during Thanksgiving. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is I'm, this is my season. It's coming. It's coming up, and so I'm getting ready to to shine on the on the potato world. Now, now, are you and your family of the mindset that you can only have one potato on your plate at a time? Like my my uh, wife says that you can't have like French fries and mashed potatoes. Oh on no, the same no, plate. no, 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 no. <laughs> I actually have a plate that's called the potato plate. Oh okay, <laughs> and it has different little sections for. Things what you're talking about there for mashed, maybe for a small baked potato, okay. maybe some seasoned red potatoes. <laughs> you know, there are all kinds of potatoes there. Yeah, I love that. And so, you know, what he's you know what you're talking about there is that during the movie, uh, that's that's one of Matt Damon's uh, major foods is that he he actually plants and, and, and grows potatoes. Yeah, uh, and that that's interesting. You know, according to uh, a lot of the science, that's definitely possible if if you had the right resources like he had in the movie yeah. that technically you could you so could you grow could sustain that. yeah in, in a small area that was enclosed huh. that you could control the oxygen level and you could control the water that absolutely yeah, yeah. you you could do that yeah. i thought it was interesting in that movie and in the book he had to have a sustainable source of waste and bacteria yeah in order to keep the potatoes yeah. growing yeah, that, yeah was, that, that, was, was, that was crazy. And that, that only came from one place. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, so, Shannon, why would Mars uh, potentially be important for the future of humanity, not just as a, a hobby or just a scientific goal, but literally important for the fate of humanity, potentially? Well, if the economy ever collapses, apparently it's going to be a good source of income for Elon Musk. <laughs> That's right. Half a million, half a million bucks a season. Right, yeah. So some scientists and inventors, including Elon Musk and also uh, the late Stephen Hawking, argued that we may need to leave Earth someday if humanity is going to survive long term. So Elon Musk, the CEO of SpaceX that we've discussed here, said either we're going to become a multi-planet species, like you said, uh, and a spacefaring civilization, or we're going to be stuck on one planet until some eventual extinction event. So I thought that was a, a really interesting quote. Uh, Elon and others say that resources may run out or the destructive power of current technology may lead to disaster that makes life on Earth impossible. And, you know, we talked about the Cold War, Jason, and, you know, the, the threat during that time of atomic war during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And it, it was really scary. It was know? very real. It was, a, it was a legit possibility. Yeah, it could have happened at the, the press of a button. You know, all of humanity just kind of wiped clean. So I, I think especially following that event and also knowing that the world is more capable of, you know, nuclear weapons than it's ever been. And they're in the hands of, you know, more countries and nations than it's ever been. You know, there's a, a growing sense of uncertainty among folks uh, about that, and it continues to be very scary. And, you know, scientists have argued that if we can have a plan B, that might not be a bad thing. Right. You know, if we can board up on the spaceship or uh, the starship and, uh, you know, kind of get out of Dodge when we need to. We may want to do that. Right? We may want to do that. You know, another topic, uh, you know, obviously, you know, nuclear war or some kind of disease, you know, that type of thing yeah. is always, you know, possible. Zombie apocalypse. Zombie man. apocalypse. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was also a movie that we <laughs> that, that we watched. Yeah. Uh, but actually just, uh, you know, I've, I've read a lot of articles and actually a couple of books about uh, just overpopulation. Oh yeah, and yeah. if you've ever read, you know, some of the uh, the writings of uh, Thomas Malthus and some of yeah. these Malthusian type of uh, predictions that he has for the future, 
that's that's also scary. I mean, we have a finite space, yeah, and and land is finite, and uh, you know, if, if population continues to grow. You know, we're going to have to figure out smarter ways to feed those yeah. folks, and that's probably going to uh, involve a lot of uh, genetic engineering for for food, which so sure. many people are against. So I think, you know, eventually the, the the doubling time of humanity is continuously getting quicker and quicker, yeah. you know, over over the years. And so I think, I mean, I think that would also have to factor in at some point, whether that's fifty years from now or a hundred years from now, or. Yeah, the, the Earth's not getting any larger. The resources aren't nope. getting more abundant. But people are continuing to multiply. Yep. And, and the population is ever-growing. You know, in biology, it's said that the Earth has a, a carrying capacity. Yep. I think they call it. And that's the point at which it can sustain life. And, you know, at the, the moment in time when the resources are less than the population needs in order to survive— there's a very real possibility that we would experience some sort of cata- uh, catastrophic event where just the population would just, oh, just shoot plummet. downward, just yeah. plummet. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, these are very real concerns. I don't know how pressing they are in the current day, but, you know, there's there's only so much you can do in terms of taking resources and the population ever right. expanding. You right. know, you're going to reach a critical mass. That's, that's a scary thought, but that's also true. I yeah. mean, at some point, again, I don't know what decade that's going to occur, but that's that's real. Yeah, yeah. So here's the big question, Jason. If you knew you would arrive on Mars without harm, right, you know, 10, 12 years down the line, 30 years. Maybe you're going with Russia. I don't know. Okay. (laughs) You're on the Russian uh, uh, starship. Um, And and you knew you would get there safely and everything would be just fine, but it might take, you know, nine months to a year, maybe longer to get there. Would you do it? Would you you go to Mars? I I probably, I I would not. Uh, And it's just because, it's just because of my family. Even if I knew that I would be safe, if I was, you know, if I if I was you know, traveling for nine months and then I'm there for a month or two and then I'm traveling back for nine months, yeah, you know, that's that's probably eighteen or twenty months that I would not see my family. Now, if my family could go with me, and I knew they would be safe and everything would be great, then absolutely, what an experience, sure. you know. Yeah. Uh, but unless my family could go, I I, I would not go. Yeah. Uh, as bad as I really personally would like to see that. I completely understand and agree with that. Yeah. I, I think that would be my one condition. The family would have to go. Unfortunately, my family would not go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My wife's already said, we are not doing this. <laughs> well, considering that uh, this past weekend I went to Dollywood and I did not even get on the uh, uh, roller coasters. I just basically held purses. Yeah. says a lot about my level of, <laughs> of adventure. <laughs> sure, sure. Absolutely. You know, but, but some hypothetical world where we did go, you know, and actually took a spaceship and we flew out of the Earth's atmosphere and went into space. You know, I think about that sometimes. And we've seen a lot of movies, you know, movies make it so real these days. Oh, yeah. You know, it. you just see people floating around in space and it just seems like, oh, you know, I can imagine myself doing that to some degree. I, you right. know, I, oh, yeah. I may not have the technical expertise. I'm not a NASA engineer or an astronaut. Obviously, that part of it kind of All eludes right. me. But some part of me can imagine just being aboard that starship and, and looking out the window, if there are windows. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, But just kind of looking on the vastness of space, seeing Earth kind of fade away in the window. And uh, it, it's just very intriguing. Me, oh, it is. You know? Yeah, it's absolutely. It, it's really cool to think about. Yeah, I don't know if I could do it, but yeah, 
it's it's a really cool sentiment. You know? Right. Yeah. So, you know, the other question I have is, you know, there's a, a celestial body that's a lot closer to us than Mars, you know, one that we've been to before and one that we have a little bit more experience with. I'm uh, looking out the window right now and I can kind of <laughs> see it on the horizon there. Uh, and that's the moon. So, you know, what do you think, Jason? Should we shoot for Mars right now or should we look at maybe colonizing the moon first? And, you know, would the moon be as safe as Mars in one of these catastrophic uh, you, events? You know, as, as far as the science goes, I have no idea about the, the atmosphere <laughs> and all that type of thing. But I do yeah. know that it's, it's, uh, it's a heck of a lot closer. I, I think it the is. moon is about 225 or 250,000 miles away. That's sort of a weekend trip. <laughs> yeah. I probably would do that, yeah. you know, and I could go and take a selfie like with the Earth behind sure, me, on, absolutely, and, and then and then come back and then take my girls <laughs> to the basketball tournament, you know, the next weekend or whatever. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, I, I guess there's a reason why that that that's not explored. I mean, because obviously that is so much closer. Yeah. So I don't know. That that's a great question. I know yeah. that that's something that probably needs a little a little further research on my part. Yeah, and I, I don't know all the science behind it either, but it. Seems like uh, the moon doesn't really have an atmosphere. Uh, it doesn't really have soil. It's more of like a rocky type yeah. surface. So they, they kind of seem similar. And if if you're if you're if you're talking about just constructing a a mass building, yeah, and then eventually keep on adding. I mean, a building's a building, and as, it seems like as long as the atmosphere would support it, sure, doesn't really matter what the outside is. Uh, and again, I have no scientific evidence to support that, but <laughs> but it just seems like that would be uh, a lot easier to get to. And so yeah. there, I guess there has to be. A reason why right now if the earth were to um you know experience one of these events maybe the moon's not the safest place to be either uh if the earth falls away then i'm assuming the moon's just gonna spin off somewhere <laughs> <laughs> yeah we you may get a uh, a free tour of the universe <laughs> Uh, so, Jason, this has uh, been a really interesting discussion. I think there's a lot of intriguing points uh, to yeah. the concept of exploring and colonizing Mars. And, you know, we may get a manned mission there pretty soon. And it, it could be a really interesting point in human history. But that's all the content I have. Is there anything else you have concerning Mars? I don't think so. No, I, I really enjoyed uh, this topic. And uh, if our viewers will uh, check some of our social media platforms, uh, they they may see that I think that maybe you and I took a trip <laughs> recently, and I think that we have uh, already assumed ownership of a certain part of, uh, of Mars. Yeah, there, there's going to be some pictures posted <laughs> here pretty soon of, of the Slapdash crew. And but they're not Photoshopped, right? They're no, real. these are real, Jason. Okay, yeah. that's, what, that's what I assumed. I, yeah, they, they may crash the Internet, though. You know, That's a very <laughs> real possibility, but we'll see. Uh, but to all of our listeners, thanks for listening. We're approaching 1,500 downloads, which we're very excited about. Uh, be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And also, if you haven't done so, Please subscribe to the podcast. That really helps us out. And leave us a rating and a review. And thank you so much for listening. All right. Take care, everyone.